Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, March 28th, 2021, and this is show number 829. Last week, because of some scheduling changes with BART, I ended up with two chit-chats recorded on the same weekend, but I totally forgot to tell you last week about the earlier one I did, and I only told you about the latest programming by Stealth. So going back in time, last week's guest was Jill McKinley, also known as Jill from the Northwoods. You know, I've been using a Mac since 1984, and other than a three-year stint using Windows Vista at work, I've been heads down in the Mac operating system all that time. So I don't know what it's like to learn to use a Mac. Jill has recently bought her first Mac. She's been a Windows person for absolutely forever. And as is usually the case when you buy your first Mac, it's really easy to justify your second Mac purchase, which she has also done. She's straddling both operating systems and honestly not using macOS too much yet. I thought it'd be fun to have her come on and chat about what it's been like to learn macOS and the differences and challenges she's been finding. We had a blast talking because Jill is always interesting to listen to, and uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I think you will, too. So if you'd like to check out this Chit Chat Across the Pond, look for Chit Chat Across the Pond light or regular Chit Chat Across the Pond in your podcatcher of choice. And of course, there's a link in the show notes directly to the episode. Well, this week, I've got three longish subjects. The first is going to be an interview from CSUN about a tool called Morphic Plus, Then I'm going to come in with an updated review on what new tools have come into Parallels Toolbox, and then we'll finish with a fantastic Everything is Fiddly from my good friend Ray Robertson. Ray spins a long story that at first it may make your head spin trying to follow what it was he was trying to do, but as you get into the rhythm of this, you're going to find a story that's got excitement and victory and then crashing defeat and then victory and in the end might actually make you cry and then laugh because that's what it did for me. Anyway, let's get started with this interview from CSUN. At the CSUN Assistive Tech Conference, I had the pleasure of talking to Greg Vanderheiden, who's a professor and director trace at R&D Center at the College of Information Studies at the University of Maryland. He was at CSUN to talk about a project called Morphic. This is an interesting solution to a problem many of us face now in helping other people, or we will face eventually. So I asked Greg to come on the show to talk about Morphic. Welcome to the show, Greg. Well, pleasure to be here. All right. So on my show, I like to always start with what's the problem to be solved? Where does What problem is Morphic trying to solve here? Uh, the problem basically is that we're creating a world where you basically have to use a computer in order to, to for education and employment and even socialization these days. And um, it's great for those of us who use computers, but they're out of reach of many. And the uh, COVID, of course, has made this even uh, clearer. Yeah, so, you have to have a computer to get a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, Or as you're isolated in your home to order food, to, to communicate, to have any contact with your family. And uh, many individuals, not just older people, but a lot of people who are older, um, are completely cut off if they can't uh, figure out how to use the computers. And they're really pretty complicated. Right, right. So um, the idea of Morphic is to try to find a, a way to make the computer more accessible to people who are possibly um, afraid of the computer or confused by it or have trouble navigating all the complexity of it, right? All of those. Okay. There are many who kind of use a computer or use it superstitiously, but there's also a lot of people, a lot of us have sent uh, computers off to our parents or grandparents uh, only to have them tell you that, oh, this is really nice. Thank you very much. Would you come please take this away? Yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, there's there's uh, two two forms of morphic. Um, there's a, a basic and a, a morphic plus. Um, they both do kind of the same thing. The morphic basic um, uh, gives uh, the ability to pop up a little bar and some very common controls for making the screen larger and things like this are, are right there. And these are things that are built into the computer already, but they're so buried that people don't know where to find them. And if you show them, they can't find them when they go back and look, et cetera. And so having them in a little uh, bar that's right there that you can click on. And now you've seen these sometimes on web pages, but Morphic works on the whole computer, not just inside a web page. 
Yeah. So after after Greg showed me this at uh, at CSUN, I installed it because it's free to download and install. And like he says, it's a little a little white bar that's floating down in the bottom right side of my uh, screen, and I can increase and decrease the text size. I can show or hide the magnifier. I can click a button to copy. Um, I can read selected text, and I can change the contrast and color. And all of those features are in the menus in the accessibility system preference pane on the Mac. But they're buried, like you say. I mean, they're, I often sit there looking at accessibility controls going, okay, where, where was that? What was that thing called again? And I'm good at this. Now, I'm mentioning this on the Mac, but this is cross-platform, right? Yes, it works on the Mac and on, also on Windows. Okay, okay. So that's that's Morphic uh, Basic that, just, that gives you easy access to those commonly used things for uh, making the screen a little easier to read and deal with. Correct. And the... Um, the plus uh, does that, but it allows you to customize the menu. And so think of having a strip down the side of the, the screen uh, where you can have buttons that you could make. Let's just talk about for a, an elder person, a grandparent or, or parent um, who gets confused. And, and you have you know one button that will automatically um, call you, or you can have another button that will automatically open up their email. You can have uh, another button that will... Uh, automatically provide them with uh, the weather. Uh, another one, you've ever, one of the common things we hear is people who say, well, we have a, a weekly phone call, especially during the pandemic. Mm. And every week it takes 20 minutes to get grandma <laughs> on the phone or grandpa on the phone. Right. And um, the, you know, it's like you'd think that after the third week or something. Um, well, what you find is we get older, we have what we call crystallized intelligence mm. where we're we're just as smart as we always were about stuff we used to be. Uh, this is not like dementia where you start degrading. I'm just talking about people that you talk to and they're bright and whatever, but when you try and teach them something, they just can't learn something new. And that's because as we get older, our intelligence will crystallize. And so we can have great conversations. We can teach people. We can do all sorts of things, but we don't learn as well anymore. And so you give them something new and they can't figure it out. I'm, I'm but, glad you brought up that example. Uh, my father had, um, I think it was 13 patents. He was an engineer, a uh, brilliant guy, curious about everything. And yet when I tried to show him an easier way to do something on his computer, he lost his ever loving mind at me. I mean, he was like, yeah. no, no, I don't need to learn this. I know how to do it the way I'm doing it. Don't, I'm going to have a heart attack if you try to teach me this. I was like, whoa. I mean, it was really yeah, vivid. That you, was crystallized right there. He's not going any yeah. further. And, and and you don't understand it. You think, oh, the person's being whatever. And mm. and it's not. It's, it's just that you're making someone who is intelligent feel stupid by ah. asking them to do something they can't do. Hmm. That's like if somebody had very low vision and you said, oh, let me show you. I can get more stuff on the screen and you make all the fonts really small. <laughs> you know, that you can That's understand that, that you're taking it outside of their reach. But yeah. we can't understand cognitively the inability to learn, especially by people that we've known who are brighter than us. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but they get to that age. So, and, and not everybody has that. My mother was the other way around. My mother would try and learn anything. Oh, yeah, no. And that's the thing is that people say, well, that's not the way old people are. And that it's my favorite is if you met one old person, you've met one old person. <laughs> um, and that is they're all over the map. Some of them are brighter and sharper than we are. And by the way, Greg and I both have gray hair, so we, we can talk like this, right? <laughs> Crystallization, that's right. <laughs> um, but now, so we've sent this off to the, 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 our grandparent, and they have this striped on the side. And one of the buttons is they click on it, and it automatically drops them right into the family call. It doesn't launch Skype. It doesn't launch Zoom. It literally, one button, they click, and they're on inside the, the conference. Oh, really? Yes. Another button, they click, and they're watching their, their worship service on Sunday. It doesn't launch something that they have to do something, do something. You know, it's one click. How does it do that? That's the way we designed it. Is you make <laughs> it so that it doesn't um open an app it it launches it into what do you want to do you want to make these buttons be what the person wants to do so think of it a button gets them the pictures of the grandkids okay mm -hmm. everybody else goes up to google and they know how to do all that stuff they don't know how to do anything except the thing says family pictures and they click it and bingo in their screen they're looking at the kids pictures they click one they're looking at their mail they click one 
they called somebody, they click one, there's the weather. They click one, and there's their best friend's Facebook page. They click one, and there's one that will uh, help them uh, with something else they want to do on their computer because it sets it up so they can share their screen with their son, daughter, whoever else can do it. So they have, hmm. think of the old push-button radio. It's that simple. you got to strip down the side, and it's always there. That's the other thing is that um, you have an iPad. They used to be really easy to use. You can give that to somebody who's older, and it's nice. They got all these little buttons. They push one. It opens up an app, and now they have no idea what to do. Right. You know, what happened How do to my buttons? Back? How do I get back to all those? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you just have to swipe up. No, no, not swipe up there. You got to swipe up. No, 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 no. Right yeah, down no, here. From the middle. No, no from the No, left. you went too slow. You went too slow. You got to go faster, you know. And it's like, take this away from me. So I'm still stuck on how, like, when I when I launch Zoom, I can click a link in an uh, in an email or a or a calendar invite that takes me right to the Zoom. But I'm immediately met with, well, do you want to test your microphone first, and do you want to test your video? And there's all these there's all these layers in between that don't let me in right away. How do you how do you get around all of that? Uh, we do. I podcast too short to get into it, but, <laughs> but yes, click and it pops up a thing with the meeting. And there's a button that says enter, and that's all you do. So it's um, just, it just says, and, I'm going to override those settings. So intelligent coding, it, I it, guess, is the answer. It, it's actually, there's ways, most of the applications have ways of doing things. It's just that even you or I may not know how to do that. Uh, we figured out how to, and then we put that in here. It's okay. The whole thing is make it easy. And then this bar that I talked about, you know, you said, well, that was all fine. But what if those aren't the buttons my grandmother wants? That's the part, and as you saw when I demonstrated it to you last time, you just go to a web page and all the buttons that you could have are there. You just drag the ones you want to onto a bar. You say, push it, bingo, that's what shows up on your uh, uh, grandmother's uh, page. When, yeah, so I mean, Greg is not, is not exaggerating. Um, it's killing him here that I'm only doing audio because his demonstration of how to set up uh, Morphic Plus was – it was shocking to me how he just went, uh, okay, what do you want? And I said, I want to be able to blah. And he goes, okay, let me put a button up there. Let me name it that. You want a little icon there? There, boom. Now I save that. Now that's just gotten pushed out to you on Morphic Plus. <laughs> I mean, it was it was spectacularly uh, rapid and obvious to me how you were doing what, or how to do what you were doing. So Morphic Plus has this <clears throat> has an interface for the helper person is what we're talking right. about. And that was for a custom button for the one where you just said, I wanted to have such and such news. You just drag it on. You're done. Uh, you want to have the weather. You just pick a weather service. You drag it on and you're done. So you have a bunch of standard ones. Yep. yep. We have all the standard things we can sort of think of. And then the one I showed you was that if it's not something that's here, then it was as quick as you said to make up a brand new one that was completely custom. Well, I had to challenge you, right? I couldn't just put, let you pick the stuff you already had there, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, if if somebody has, uh, let's say I have Morphic Plus uh, and I'm going to be helping my uh, my father work on his computer, I'm going to try to set this up for him. So then um, mm -hmm. how does, so there's a component that gets installed on his computer and I'm just doing everything from the web. Is that right? Yeah, You what you do is... Um, you install uh, Morphic uh, on his computer, and the um, uh, and you can do that just using um, the, the screen sharing that's built right into Windows or built right into the Mac OS. Uh, if you want to install it without ever going over there, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you just install Morphic, or you can just talk him through. It's very easy. You just you download it, double click, and it installs itself. Mm -hmm. um, then um, you go up to a web page and uh, you. Uh, say, I want to create a bar for whatever their name is, and you give the email of the person that it's going to be, uh, and you set up the bar, and then you push it. Um, they would get a, a an email, and again, you if they've never used a computer before, you can call them up and talk them through just opening up the email and clicking once to accept it, mm -hmm. and then bingo, it'll show up on their computer. Um, and then from then on, uh, if they call you up and said, well, this is really nice, but could I have a button that, that launches you know this or makes it so i can call so and so mm -hmm. you just go up to the website drag the button in put their name in push it and bingo it shows up on their computer and they go oh thanks they push it and it calls wow that's that's pretty cool 
I'm as you're saying this, I'm thinking of all different things. I think the button that uh, I would need with one of my relatives is the button to start a screen sharing session. Because once oh, yeah. we can screen share with them, everything goes way faster. But getting them to that point every single time, it's like 20 minutes to get it. It's like, okay, click here. You know, you've told them 28 times. But like you said, Chris, that's one right? of our that's one of our pre-made buttons. So is you it just really? Drag that on. Yeah, it's, yep. You drag it onto the bar. It works especially well on uh, on the uh, PC, actually, because Windows has something called Quick Assist. And uh-huh. all you do is they just click the button. And you on the phone, you just say, um, uh, enter this number. They type in the number and uh, bingo. Oh, you're connected. wow. It's that fast. Wow, that is cool. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. So I'm sure everybody who's listening is thinking, yeah, but what's your business model here? What are you, what are you, what are you going to soak me for this, Greg? The uh, where it's being put out by a nonprofit organization, uh, Raising the Floor. Um, and, um, the Morphic basic is, is basically free. Um, and Morphic plus the cost is going to be based basically on, uh, how much the sponsorship we can find. We would like to make it absolutely free for everybody. Um, and if we can find some sponsorship, as a matter of fact, we have sponsorship now enough to be able to, uh, provide it free for the first year, uh, even for the Morphic plus for all the early adopters for it. And, um, beyond that, uh, we don't know. Um, you know, we said, well, gee, you know, maybe, you know, $6 a month or something like that uh, would, would, would help to do it if uh, it's all dependent upon how much uh, it costs to do support. As I said, it's all being done out of a nonprofit. And uh, what we'd really like to do, because we really think this is sort of something that just needs to be out there, would be to get uh, two things would be uh, sponsorship for the just the underlying costs uh, and then um, set up a, a network of community to provide uh, support for people. And then it could be available free. Um, so we're not trying to uh, generate uh, revenue with this. We're just trying to uh, get it out there because so many people just absolutely are being cut off without having something like this. You know, I've had a vision for a long time of a, of a community-based service called Help My parent slash relative slash friend, please. <laughs> I don't have a good name oh, for yeah. it. But the, the the other piece of this is that the person we're helping is usually the person who knows where every one of our buttons are to push, right? And we know where <laughs> their buttons are. So usually, if like, I want somebody to help my brother. And if you help my brother, I'll help your mom. And then if, if they help your mom, then you help their next door neighbor and we can all help each other. But everybody has to take a turn in the bucket with, because I'll be perfectly delightful with somebody I don't know. But if it's my child trying to teach me something, oh, we're going to be a whole different conversation, right? You should call it pay it forward. Pay it forward. Yeah, there you go. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll do something for you. You do something for somebody else. Exactly. One of the other one of the other groups that we have, and it's sort of a hidden feature on, on Morphic, is uh, for people who have to use assistive technologies, you know, like screen readers, um, if they go to a library or to a school or something, um, they can't use every computer like everybody else can. There is at the library maybe one or two computers upstairs in a resource room that they can use and everybody else can use any other computer. Um, so one of the things we're working on with Morphic is the ability for someone who, who does use assistive technology to be able to sit down to any computer. So you have Morphic on all the computers at the library and, um, and it's really handy for everybody else because it makes all these things uh, easy as we talked about before. But if you sat down and you needed AT, when you sit down, you just sign in and your assistive technology would be pulled down, installed on the computer and set up just the way you need it to be. Now, when you get up to go away, it disappears. So for the first time, somebody who needs an assistive technology, a special software, would be able to sit and use any computer at home or at grandma's or at the community center, at the library, just like everybody else can. So so, so um, not just setting things like text size and magnification and contrast, but you're talking about actually having your, your own assistive technology software there? Yes. Oh. Instantly uh, installed uh, on demand and then disappear when you leave. Interesting. Interesting. 
So you guys have a lot of vision here. This is uh, this is really nifty. I have never seen anything like this, and I've been watching this space for a little while, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything that does what Morphic can do today, or certainly what your vision is for tomorrow. So this is this is really terrific. If um, now people can sign up to download um, Morphic uh, Basic for free right now and get on the list Correct. for when Morphic Plus comes out. Is that right? Yes, and Morphic Plus will be out next month, and. Uh, you can, uh, again, if you're one of the early adopters, um, you get it free for an entire year. So, um, and free after that, if we can get sponsors and other, if not, it'll be something that's very, very affordable, you know, more like the price of a cup of coffee or two. There you go. And it's as the cost of a cup of coffee goes up every month, you know, we can get that's right. <laughs> so where would people go to find Morphic? Just go to morphic.org. M O R P H I C dot O R G. Uh, and um, right there, it describes it to you. And uh, you can uh, click and download the, the basic versions today on Mac and PC. And the plus versions will be out uh, next month. I thought of one more question. What did you write yeah. this in? Oh, it's written in um, C Sharp for the uh, PC and in Swift on the Mac. Oh, so, so you're written doing in native code. It's native, but it's okay, but you're doing both. That's great. Oh, they're both, and um, you'll love it. It installs literally in, in uh, on modern computers in about three seconds or two seconds. It's, uh, yeah, it's, wow. it's very fast. It is. It, it, the Morphic Basic Bar is the fastest thing I can launch on my Mac. I can tell you that. I did it right as oh, we yes. were starting to talk. And I'm, oh, there it is already. It's great. Yes. All right, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was uh, this is really interesting. And I uh, I bet you're going to see some signups from uh, people who listen to the No Silicast. So I appreciate your time. Well, we very much appreciate that. And uh, we're looking for feedback as well. Any ideas um, that you have for anybody has for uh, making it better? Uh, we're looking for that. Thank you. Back in July of 2017, I told you about a tool called Parallels Toolbox for macOS and Windows from the people who make the virtual machine software Parallels Desktop. This app is really what it says on the tin, a toolbox of little utilities. I've not noticed any particular app inside Parallels Toolbox as being unique from other tools available on the internet, but it's the collection of them all together in one toolbox with a unified interface that makes it so great. When I wrote about Parallels Toolbox again in 2018, I called it the gift that keeps on giving because the annual subscription fee of 20 bucks let them add nine more tools to the toolbox. Well, I'm back in 2021 because my subscription money has been going to good use because they've added even more tools that solve real problems. Now, I'm bummed that the Parallels Toolbox is licensed uh, restricted to a single Mac at a time because when I work on an alternate Mac, you know, occasionally, I feel like I have my hands tied behind my back without my tools. The other thing that bumps me out is it's not entirely accessible. I think it wouldn't be a big stretch to make it completely accessible because it's close, but it misses the mark. For example, the main screen uh, shows the, the tools in a grid with pretty icons and their names underneath. None of the icons are labeled, but if you go past a row of them into the row of names below them, you can use those to access the tools. It wouldn't be that much code to make the icons and the text go together. The other mistake is that when you open a tool, it starts in a text field instead of explaining what the screen says. A few unlabeled toggles here and there, and it would make it really hard to use with VoiceOver. But I don't think it'd be that hard to get it fixed, because like I said, they're close. I know a guy at Parallels, and if I can remember his name, I'm going to write to him about this. All right, with those disclaimers out of the way, let's talk about the fun parts of Parallels Toolbox. I said that Parallels Toolbox is cross-platform to Windows and Mac. I don't know own any Windows machines on which to test the tools, so they'll work slightly different on the two operating systems. So if you're looking at it from the Windows perspective, keep that in mind as I tell you about these new goodies in Parallels Toolbox. But... Before I tell you about the new tools they've just added, let me speed read for you what they had in 2017, I'm sorry, in 2017, and then what they added in 2018. Are you ready? Eject volumes, archiver, unarchiver, camera, screenshots of all types, screen recording, name timers, airplane mode, download video from web, capture audio, do not disturb, do not sleep, hide desktop, launch, lock screen, mute microphone, presentation mode, switch screen resolution, and record audio. That's what they had in 2017, and I put a link in the show notes to the 2017 article so you can read all of those things that they had back then. 
Now, in 2018, they added clean drive, find duplicates, find duplicates, free memory, hidden files, make GIF, resize images, world time, uninstall apps, and hide individual tools. Okay, so I would gladly continue to pay uh, Parallels Toolbox fee of 20 bucks a year because I use a lot of these apps on a daily basis. With this many tools and all the new ones, you might start to find it hard to find the tools you're looking for. There are three ways to solve this problem. If you right-click on any tool, you can set it as a favorite, and it'll sit in a little tray up on the top. Think of that as like the top tray in your Craftsman toolbox, where you keep your favorite pull-out rule and crescent wrench. You can also right-click on any tool and choose to put it in your menu bar so you have it very accessible to you. Now, I'm not sure when they added this feature, but if you open up Preferences using the gear icon in the upper right when you open Parallels Toolbox, you can choose to display the uh, to disable the display of any tools you don't use. Getting the unused tools out of the way would make it easier to find the good ones. If you ever change your mind, you can re easily re-enable any tools using that same checklist. Now, you're going to thank me for learning the ways to organize your tools, because now I'm going to tell you about all the cool new tools they've added since 2018. I've already told you that Parallels Toolbox can take screenshots of an area, window, or full screen. But now they've added a Safari extension that lets you screenshot an entire page. When you select the extension icon in the Safari toolbar, you'll get a warning over the window telling you don't do any scrolling until I'm done scrolling to take the screenshot because then you're going to see the page starts to scroll all by itself. It's kind of spooky, really. And when it's done, your full page screenshot will drop onto your desktop. This isn't a tool I need every day, but there are definitely times this will be very handy. In the previous articles, I told you about how Parallels Toolbox lets you create a named timer and show world time. Well, under the time category, they've added three new tools. They can add, uh, you can set a named alarm, which can repeat on days of your choice if desired. If you're waiting impatiently for an important day, such as your retirement date, you can create a date countdown. You add the date, give it a name, and it will display inside the Parallels Toolbox interface, or you can put it in your menu bar so you can obsess over it constantly. They also added a stopwatch. I work out a lot, and I very rarely don't close my activity rings on my watch. But one metric is very difficult for me, and that's the stand goal. You're supposed to stand for a couple of minutes for 12 hours of the day. Now, in theory, it's supposed to remind you, but I'm often in grave danger of missing it entirely. Recently, I was on a six-week streak of meeting all of my goals. I was walking 46 miles a week and burning over 680 active calories per day. And this one day, I look at my watch late at night, and it said I had only stood nine times that day. I ended up staying up late just so I could stand up some more. Well, in other words, I need to be reminded to take a break when I'm working at my computer. Parallels Toolbox added a break time tool that might just help me. You tell it the interval at which you'd like to take a break and how long those breaks should be. There are three checkboxes to see how you want it to work. You can actually let it block your screen during breaks so you have to obey it. There's an option to count idle time towards breaks. I'm not sure that one would be perfect for me, though. It says if you neither click nor scroll a mouse during the interval before a break begins, that counts as a break. So if I sit and think for a couple of minutes while programming, but I don't get my fanny up out of the chair, I might be in trouble. It might think that I took a break. On the other hand, if I spontaneously do take a break on my own, I want to get credit for that. If you do enable that checkbox, Parallels Toolbox will need accessibility access to know when you're messing with your computer or not. Finally, you can choose whether to start the break time tool when you boot up your Mac. Well, I've enabled it, and we'll see how long I can stand to have the, this tool be the boss of me, but I gotta tell you, I have been hitting my stand goal and way more for all of the days since I started using this. So I think I, I, think I might do it. I, you know, I really do want to meet my stand goals, mostly just get credit, but also to improve my overall health. In 2019, I told you that I'd finally succumbed to the love of clipboard managers when I met Copy M, also known, uh, formerly known as Copy and Paste. I use Copy M every single day, all day long now. If you haven't yet bought into the idea of a clipboard manager, maybe clipboard history inside Parallels Toolbox is worth a try. I think it would work best to have a treasured spot in your menu bar. 
All tools in Parallels Toolbox have a little gear on them that lets you access their preferences. In Clipboard History's preferences, you want to specify where you don't want Clipboard History to be able to copy text. For example, by default, it won't copy from Keychain Access, which I think is brilliant, but you can add more places to exclude. You can also set how long to keep your history. There's an option to use a universal clipboard, which means it will add the history of items you copied to the clipboard on other Apple devices. I presume this is exercising the built-in continuity features of macOS and iCloud. Unfortunately, that feature isn't working for me right now on my iPhone, which is driving me bananas because I love that feature, so I haven't been able to test that feature in Parallels Clipboard History. Once you have it set up, anything you copy will show in the Clipboard History in your menu bar. Click once on an item to copy, or double-click to paste directly into your frontmost window. If you've got a screenshot in your Clipboard History, you can right-click and choose Preview to see it full-size before pasting. If you've got something you need to paste often from your Clipboard History, you can click the star next to it and add it to Favorites. There are certainly more advanced Clipboard managers than Parallels Toolbox Clipboard History, but like all of the other tools in the toolbox, it's right there, ready to use, and might just help you understand how valuable a Clipboard manager can be. On the one hand, new Macs have better battery life than ever before. On the other hand, if you've got an older Mac, the battery probably isn't what it used to be, so you'd like a little help with extending the time you can work on battery. In Parallels Toolbox, they've added an Energy Saver tool to help you out. If you choose to run Energy Saver, it will first request permission to install a new helper tool. If you allow Energy Saver to launch one on battery, you have several options to improve your battery life. You can hide non-active apps, which makes the hidden applications go into the built-in Mac app nap mode, where they consume less energy. You can uh, pause Spotlight, and by that they mean Spotlight indexing. It doesn't mean that Spotlight won't work when you're on battery. You can pause updates from the Mac App Store and other macOS updates. You can eject external drives and also temporarily pause Time Machine backups when you're on battery. I'm a big fan of Bartender for managing my menu bar icons in my personal account. In my Screencast Online account on my Mac, it's critical that I be able to hide as many menu bar icons as possible because it distracts the viewers of the video tutorials. People used to write into Don all the time and ask, hey, what was that app with the weird red menu bar icon with the swirly thing in it? He decided that all tutors should hide their menu bar apps whenever possible. If you do demonstrations on your computer and you'd like to keep those distractions down, along with Parallels Toolbox Hide Desktop Icons and Presentation Mode, you can now hide your menu bar icons as well. If you're already using Bartender, you don't need Parallels Toolbox, and the two would conflict with each other. But if you don't have Bartender, this is a great option. If you're super organized with what apps you keep open and where you carefully place each window, then I'd like you to just move along right now because this next tool is for the rest of us, or as I like to call us, normal people. If you're like me, you, mo you work more like this. You start your day by opening your task manager. You see a task that says, check out Sizzy for web development Hel because Helma says it's cool. You open a web browser to do the research. You realize that this information would be great to post into our, our Slack in our Programming by Stealth channel. So Slack gets open. You open your code editor to see which Git repo you're working on and then remember that you stopped last night with some serious bugs. You open Telegram to send a note to Helma asking her a question. So without even getting distracted watching TikTok, you've now got like five applications open with Windows just glopped all over the screen. It gets kind of overwhelming after a while. If you need to see your desktop, you can fuss around moving Windows or you can use a gesture like five fingers out on your trackpad to see the desktop. But even if you remember the gesture, when you're done, you still have all this glop back on your screen. With Parallels Toolbox, you can have, can have a single button in your menu bar that hides all applications. It then switches to the finder and it replicates the show ge desktop gesture to hide any open finder windows. You can tell it's doing that because you see the same dark gray border on your display that tells you something is hiding. So like I said, all your menu, all your applications are hidden and uh, Finder is, is just hiding a little bit because it'll come back when you redo the gesture. Now, if you're really crazed by having all of these apps open, you can set Show Desktop to actually quit your apps instead of hiding them. The Show Desktop tool in Parallels Toolbox is definitely not for everyone, but if you're as undisciplined as I am, maybe it'll preserve your sanity. I'm not 100% sure what problem this next tool solves. 
It's called Sleep Timer. And as it says on the label, you can set your timer for when you want your Mac to go to sleep. Alternatively, you can set a timer for when you want it to shut down. One minute before the timer hits the end, you'll receive an additional notification so you can stop it from taking action. I'm trying to picture the use case for this. Let's say I'm uploading a large video to the internet and I don't want to wait for it before putting my machine to sleep. I could tell Sleep Timer to go to sleep after 15 minutes, but I'd have, I'd have to be really certain that it wouldn't take 16 minutes for my video to go up, wouldn't I? What about shutting down after my backups are finished? Should I set that to 30 minutes? 40 minutes? How long is long enough? I'm sure this solves a real problem for someone, but I can't quite picture it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I've got it. I've got it. You figured out that you aren't getting enough sleep, so you're trying to make yourself go to sleep by 10.30 p.m. Maybe you set the timer to end at 10.25, and when your Mac goes to sleep, you have to go to sleep? <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. When we went to the UAE, India, and Nepal, our friend Raleigh always kept track of the currency conversion for us into U.S. dollars. Unfortunately, while he could approximate the math in his head, he couldn't remember the name of the currencies in the different countries, so he called them all Pazooties. If you don't have Raleigh with you to help, help you out, you can use Parallels Toolbox's Unit Converter to convert currencies and units like length, area, volume, temperature, and more. The interface is kind of unusual. You don't have to write out a complex conversion statement. You just start typing what you want. Let's say I've got 9 PSI, pounds per square inch, and I want to convert it. I just type 9 PSI, and Unit Converter will start to convert it for me in a list of different options. I'll see that 9 PSI is 18.3242 inches of mercury. I can see that it's uh, 465.34 millimeters of mercury and 62,052.8 pascals. If I was in India without Raleigh, I could type in 12 rupee and it would give me 0.14 euro, 0.17 dollars US, 0.22 dollars Australian, and it would even show me little flags next to the currency for each country. I use Spotlight for my unit conversions and it works pretty well. I can hit command space and type in 9 PSI in Pascal and it instantly pops up with 62,052.8, just like Parallels Toolbox. But like I said up front, Almost all of the tools in Parallels Toolbox can be found elsewhere. It's having them all in one tool at your fingertips that's the real value. The last new tool in our toolbox is called Window Manager. This tool is designed to help you be more organized in how you arrange your different application screens. I've already explained that I'm an anarchist when it comes to my window locations, but if you'd like a quick and easy way to have your windows as, say, tall thirds across the screen or quarters in the corner, you can do that with Parallels Toolbox's Window Manager. There's a couple of different options on how to change the size and placement of your windows. You can put Window Manager in your menu bar and select the size and location from the app. Or you can drag your windows to the sides, corners, top or bottom to make your windows snap to the predefined location. If you're a hotkey person, you can even assign your own shortcuts. I like having these different options because, while it's easy to drag to one side of a single screen, if you use a dual monitor setup or a laptop with an external display, you lose an edge because the display just kind of extends between the two. That might make uh, using a keystroke or the menu bar app the better way to go. I do have to say that Windows uh, Window Manager in Parallels Toolbox is the first of its kind that does allow me to drag to the right edge on my external display, even though I've got an extended desktop off to the right. For now, I've disabled Moom for daily use like I was using it before, and I'm going to try using Window Manager to see if I like using it. The bottom line is, I told you about Parallels Toolbox when there were 18 tools. Then they added another 9, and now they've added another 10. I figured out how this happened. They have a request a feature option in the tool, and I bet people have been requesting features. In any case, I've gladly paid the $20 per year for Parallels Toolbox because they're constantly designing new capabilities that solve real problems. The fine folks at Parallels have an affiliate program now too, so if you use the link in the show notes to get Parallels Toolbox, you will get three months free, and so will I. Do you find yourself wishing that you could hear an ad for a mattress right now, or maybe some men's underwear? No? Well, then you must appreciate the fact that there are no ads on any of the Podfeet podcast shows. These shows are entirely supported by the fine listeners who contribute using one-time donations at podfeet.com slash PayPal or a continuing contribution using podfeet.com slash Patreon. 
please consider joining these fine folks and help keep the shows ad-free. Everything is fiddly. So I really wish I could talk as fast and clearly as Allison to share this Everything's Fiddly story, but I'm really just a lightweight developer and introvert, and I stutter quite a bit, so I'll just do my best to share this story of mine. I'm actually recording this from my new camper van, which is integral to the story because I need to stay connected on the road. Before I even dreamed of a camper van, a few years ago, my boss handed me this AT&T Velocity hotspot so I could work while I was on the road, and it was great. It was just about 42 gigs of data a month, but it was enough for me, it was enough speed for me, and it worked perfectly. And so you would think that would be perfect for me to be on the road when camping as well, but of course camping, you're in remote areas. So I really needed a hotspot to connect, which had two T9 antenna ports. Those are essential to get an antenna on the outside of your vehicle to connect up and be able to reach further. And then you also have to look for your vehicle. Do you want a cellular booster like WeBoost or do you want a MIMO antenna, multiple in, multiple out? And entire holy wars could be waged online about which is better. But I turned to the great folks at the Mobile Internet Resource Center, watched their videos, read their articles, and decided I really wanted MIMO. So I was going to look for a MIMO antenna, but of course my hotspot did not have ports for the MIMO antenna. But then, as a part of my owner's group, which is fantastic, I saw another user had an AT&T hotspot hooked up directly to a MIMO antenna avoiding all the booster technology, the router uh, technology, all that. And I thought, this would be perfect for me. And I learned from him that his spot hotspot was an AT&T Velocity 2. So perfect. It's the newer one. It's from AT&T. It has ports. It works for him. He's on AT&T. So it made perfect logical sense that this would work for me. But as most of you know, Logic seldom works in today's technology world. What you really need is more information first, and then what you especially need is voodoo, magic, to get things to work eventually. So from Amazon, I got a used Velocity 2 and encountered my first rookie error when I learned that, of course, the newer Velocity 2 wants a nano sim, whereas what was in my Velocity 1 was a micro sim. So my first instinct was to call my boss and ask him to call AT&T and see if they can get a nano sim. But I kind of had a feeling that that was going to be difficult. And I learned online that you can buy a sim cutting tool. And I'm so clueless, I didn't even know that sims could be cut. But with a sim cutting tool, I could cut down my micro sim to a nano sim and use it in my hotspot. And it was worth the $10 to get that sim cutting tool, which came with its own adapters as well, its own adapter trace, which means worst case scenario, if I cut down to the nano sim and it didn't work, I could still use an adapter tray and put it back in my velocity one, mimicking the micro sim. So all is good. I said a little prayer. I cut my sim. I stuck it into my velocity two hotspot. It booted up and I did a few tests at home to see that yes, with the antenna, I was seeing increased speed. Now, I should backtrack a little bit here and mention that instead of buying a $250 rooftop antenna, I decided to go with a Netgear $50 portable MIMO directional antenna to do this test first because I was soon about to be on the road for five days in remote locations. So I thought I'll test a smaller device and see how it works. So first night out camping, I hook up my Netgear MIMO portable antenna, which is directional, mean, and that means you might have to play with which window of the van it faces out. I popped it into the first window, did a speed test without the antenna, and then one with the antenna, and it was spectacular. It may have just been lucky, it probably was just lucky, but I had triple the download speeds, and I had double the upload speeds, from what would have been otherwise a very weak signal. So I continued on my trip. The next night, hooked up the antenna, ready to do some more work, and got the message from the hotspot, invalid SIM, invalid SIM. 
And those who are more familiar with this than me probably know what happened in that case. I don't know why it worked at first, but eventually the great hand of AT&T reached out and realized that I had put the SIM into a device with an IMEI IMEI number, which was not the one that they were tracking with that SIM. Now, I don't know exactly why AT&T requires control over where you put a SIM, but they do. Even though I'm using data from them that I've paid for, they still want control over where that SIM is. So I had a SIM which would not work. So I thought, okay, I will put it back because I have a fail-safe plan. I'll put it back in the Velocity 1 with my tray. Unfortunately, it didn't quite fit. I don't know why. Sometimes you have to use sandpaper to get a SIM to fit. This wasn't that case. Maybe I brought the wrong tray. Checked online with people who encouraged me to try this and that, and I tried this and that. And then finally one person said, well, you might as well put it in your old Velocity um, hotspot loose and see if it works in, because sometimes they do. And of course, I put it in. It didn't work, and I could not get the SIM back out. So I go to the backup plan. I have uh, my personal cell phone is with Cricket, you know, the low-cost AT&T carrier, same network as AT&T. Even though ideally, as an RV, you want to have access to both the major networks, perhaps Verizon and AT&T. But what I had then was Cricket. So I was able to go online and change my family plan to add a personal hotspot for a fee to my cell phone. Only my fee went up drastically, way more than I thought a hotspot would cost. So I had to call in Cricket and say, what's happening here? And I had to learn that because I was on a family plan, you have to add the hotspot to every phone, even those that don't need it, in order to get a lower cost overall, even though you're still paying more for each of those phones. So, okay, weird situation, but I had to pay. I had to get the hotspot working. The person at Cricket was very nice. I was pleased with how that support was done. So then I began to think, hmm, well, maybe I can get a Cricket SIM to go into my Velocity 2 because it is, after all, an AT&T branded device. By then, I know more about the IMEI number, and I go onto Cricket, and through a very easy interface, I'm able to key in that number, and it says, not compatible. We no longer support this device. Uh, Technology, something about technology work, no longer working with our network. And I think, hmm, okay. But I know my friend has this device working with AT&T. So I go into the AT&T site, key in the IMEI number, and it doesn't say explicitly okay, but it doesn't say bad. It just takes me to a data-only sales page where I can purchase that. So that was, to me, confirmation that, yes, this device still works with AT&T. So I try everything I can with Cricket because I really want to know. Okay, you're on the AT&T network. Why are you telling me this device long, no longer works? I don't get a satisfactory answer anywhere. I end up going to the local Cricket store, which was close to where I was camping then, just to confirm that no, this device will not work. And yes, we sell one hotspot. And yes, we have it. And this hotspot does not have antenna ports. So what is my option to get a hotspot with antenna ports at Cricket? Well, the only option is to pay $300 to get a third-party hotspot with antenna ports for Cricket, the low-cost carrier. So again, I'm wanting to buy data from them. I'm wanting to buy, buy more data from them, but they're still dictating the devices that I can use, and they don't even sell one that has the feature that I want. So I began to think, okay, I need to give up on Cricket, especially after they didn't respond to any of my protests or to the feedback email, calls, and so forth. I need to get rid of Cricket. What I'm going to do is I'm going to switch to Visible, the low-cost carrier for Verizon. So I always have a personal hotspot with Visible, which is included with every plan. And is although it's slow, it is unlimited so I don't have to deal with all these hassles. So that goes pretty well. The overall, that goes well. So now I need to go back and get my AT&T hotspot working with my boss's 
AT&T plan. So I call my boss and he's, of course, he doesn't want to call AT&T. Who wants to call AT&T? I don't blame him for that at all. So he wants me to imitate him online so I can try and work out all these things with AT&T. I don't tell him yet that I've cut the SIM. I hate that, but I just didn't reveal that yet. But he's also asking me to do something that, you know, feels sketchy, imitate him in every way for an online chat. And so I do that. Who else wouldn't do that in that case? But he gives me all of his personal information, his account number, social, all that, so I can imitate him online. And of course, there was still information missing. So I had to, as I was online, as they were asking me for info, I had to be like, uh, sorry, I'm a slow typist, which is not true at all. I'm a fast typist. There I am lying again. Or, oh, it's taken me a while to find this file where I saved it, which was true because I am very disorganized. But eventually they tell me, okay, no problem. We will send you a nano SIM for this device and you will have it the next day. Great victory with AT&T instead of Cricket. Okay, so I'll have it the next day. It's being sent to my boss, but I'll still have it the next day. Then it doesn't come, doesn't come, doesn't come, doesn't come. Eight days later, my next trip nearing, we still don't have a SIM from AT&T or any indication of when it might ship. So I call back or chat again with AT&T, imitating my boss, go through the same procedures again. And they say, we're sorry, we don't know when this will ship, but you can just go by your AT&T local store and pick up a SIM there. There's normally a $5 charge, but we'll even weigh that for you because you've had to help. And so then I say, hmm, well, is there any chance that I could get my associate to pick it up for me? And of course, using my name, and they say, sure, we will add that person's name and he can then come pick it up for you. So great, victory, victory. I can go into my local AT&T store and get the SIM. And I go into the store, masked up, ready, and they won't give it to me. I am not authorized on that account. There is no mention of your name. And besides, you would have to bring in the hotspot because we have to activate it for you. It was a complete stonewall. I had no choice. So I went back home wondering what my next strategy was going to be. And the next morning I woke up and I thought, okay, why am I being so cheap? I should spend the 300 plus dollars to buy a new AT&T hotspot and thereby leave behind all of this complication and know that I'm getting something that's working, even if it is expensive. And I'll pay for it as long as my boss is still paying for the data. So I go onto the AT&T website into the hotspot area where I get a sales associate instead of a support associate. And as you know, most times in life, the sales associates are less knowledgeable than the support people, but that's not true at AT&T. This person was so much more knowledgeable about the hotspots. And they go through this weird interface of you give them your number, they call you for audio on the phone, you can see a video of them. They can't see a video of you. I pity the people who work in this area. But this person said basically to me that um, there was a way that I could get this to work. And I just needed to become an authorized user on the account. And then I would be able to get this SIM. So I went through the whole procedure of becoming a true authorized user on my boss's AT&T account which was weird because I don't have an AT&T number and I could not have two-factor authentication working to confirm that I was an authorization authorized user. But for some reason, it did start to work. And then I decided before going into the store, I would try online one more time in the sales area for hotspots. I get a different guy on video who is helpful I explain to him that what has gone on, I tell him the whole truth, the whole story, and he's very helpful, and he says, okay, now that you're an authorized user, let me associate 
your um, device with this new IMEI number. And he keys it in. I'm watching him key it in. And then he goes, mm. keys in a little more. And he says, uh-oh. And I say, is anything wrong? And he says, well, your boss has an older plan that is not a data-only plan. Keep in mind that it's not an unlimited plan. It's not like we're getting any extra data uh, data for cheap, but it's just a type of plan that they no longer allow. And because they no longer allow that type of mixed cell plan, they will not let me work with a new type of old hotspot, my Velocity 2, or any hotspot for that matter. Any new hotspot would not have worked with this plan. And so he tells me, kind of an aside, he says, Listen, this is what you do. You need to go into the AT&T store again. Oh, no, go into the AT&T store again. You don't tell them anything about what's going on. And you just say, here's my hotspot. The SIM is no longer valid. Please give me a new SIM, and I am an authorized user, and that that will work. And he said, I got your IMEI number fixed for this, but you need to have that new SIM. So I tell him thank you, tell him okay, and uh, hang up and then think about this for a while. And I think, wait, if he changed the IMEI number, I still have that old SIM. So it might now, might now work in the Velocity 2. The only problem is it's stuck in the Velocity 1. So I look up on YouTube to see how to get out of stuck SIM. And if you haven't done this be- before, believe it or not, the only answer, the main answer, is super glue. You take super glue and put it on the end of a piece of a credit card or a slight piece of cardboard, stick it in, hold it for 30 seconds, and then it bonds so you can pull out that SIM. Ironically, I used a cardboard from an envelope from Visible cut up with super glue to get out the SIM from the AT&T Velocity 1. I put it into the Velocity 2. And it works. It finally works. I have victory. Victory. My SIM is now working. All is good because I have AT&T network through my work authorized hotspot. As a backup, I have Verizon network through my visible devices. Slow but unlimited. All is wonderful. And what I should backtrack and say here is going through all the time that I spent trying to make this work. In the middle of it all, after that first visit to the eighteen store, eighteen t store, I had to run another errand downtown in our small town where some stores are still not actually on Wednesday afternoon, uh, not open on Wednesday afternoon. I didn't know that was the case with this store, but I badly needed something from it. I went and the door was locked. But the woman who runs it, who knows me, saw me. She was there with her kids after school, and she let me in so she could take care of getting what I needed. Very nice. And importantly, she didn't lock the door behind me. And as we're trying to get the transaction done, suddenly we see this little five-year-old girl opening the door and coming in. Her mother had left her. It was supposed to be, she was supposed to be left to be with her Nana. Her Nana wasn't anywhere around. She didn't know what to do. So the store owner and I exchanged glances. We did our best to comfort her. And as I went out, I scanned the street for anybody looking for a lost girl. I didn't find anybody, but I did find a police officer just sitting about 200 feet away in a squad car. And I said, there's a situation over here. You need to come and help with this little five-year-old girl who does not have anybody. Won't tell you too many personal details of the story, but yes... There were major family problems. There were subsequent arrests. And I don't know who that little girl is with now, but at least she is with somebody. And I'm glad that that door was unlocked so that the first person that she encountered on her own was us. And so all this gets you to thinking, isn't 
aren't there more important things in life than what we do to deal with technology? What kind of change should I make in my life to be there for the people who need me, friends and strangers, as opposed to what I have to do to maintain current and online in the world of technology? That's really something to think about. But hold on, excuse me, Apple says I really must update my iPhone. I need to do that first. Well, did I overpromise or did uh, did Ray overdeliver on that story? I I love that and such a such a surprising ending. I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But that is going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. Everything is fiddly recordings, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You've got podfeed.com slash Patreon or podfeed.com slash PayPal, both of which help to support the show. Got two ways to uh, join the community? You can join us on Facebook at podfeed.com slash Facebook or podfeed.com slash Slack if you hate Facebook and you want to try something different. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.